want you to imagine that you are in a courtroom and you're on trial. The prosecution has a whole list of offenses of which you're being accused. And you're sitting there, you're hearing this testimony, and it's overwhelming. Truth be told, every single one of us, doesn't matter who we are, every one of us is guilty. We're guilty. We're guilty of all sorts of things, whether we're guilty of lying or stealing. The list could go on. Sometimes as people, we try to categorize sins and we try to say, well, there are some sins that are really big. And then there's the tiny little sins. And most of the time, we try to make sure our sins are in that category. We're, we're not guilty of the big things, just the little things, no big deal. But in reality, before a God who's holy, they're all a really big deal. And the reality is that if we were in that courtroom... There's a whole list of offenses in which every one of us could be declared guilty. So how do we deal with with this reality? How do we deal with the fact that every one of us is broken? That every one of us, we don't live up to the people that we know we ought to. How do we deal with the fact that, that we sin? How do we deal with our guilt? And not only that, how do we deal with those who have wronged us and and those who have sinned against us. Some of you today have faced some terrible, some terrible things. How do you deal with the people who have dealt you those kinds of things? And these are the issues that today's passage are going to hit square on. Um, We continue our series and. In, uh, in prayer, talking about prayer as we, we journey through what's often called the Lord's Prayer, what might better be called the model prayer. Um, and we've seen how, how God has calls his disciples to pray and to seek him in prayer. And let's look at this prayer together. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In this passage, we see another essential of prayer. And that's this. When you pray, ask God for forgiveness. Ask God for forgiveness. Notice how this verse starts. It starts with the word and. And so it's connecting what's already been talked about with the thought of, of this verse. And, and we're, again, we're focusing in on verse 12 today. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Remember the first three requests that have been made have dealt with God. They, they've dealt with, there's been a focus on God. God, may your name be hallowed. May your name be made holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. And then last week, we noticed that the focus of this prayer turned to to food, of all things. And we saw that it's important uh, to God that our physical needs are met. And so we should call out to God in prayer regarding our physical needs. 
But notice here in verse 12, the focus turns from food and physical needs to needs that are even more critical in our lives, ultimately. That is our spiritual needs. You see, we do need God to meet our physical needs, but in an even greater way, we need him to work in our hearts spiritually. And so Jesus teaches his disciples, this is how you pray. And forgive us our debts. So Jesus moves quickly to our need to be in a right relationship with with God. Jesus taught his disciples that they ought to go to God and they ought to ask God for forgiveness. Now, when a believer sins, when a person who knows Jesus sins, there's alienation between that person and God. There's alienation, there's distance, there's space. So Jesus teaches his disciples, when you do sin, then get it right with God. Ask him to forgive you. And in this way, the fellowship that you can have with God is restored. Now, what does this mean? This means that our guilt, that the guilt for the things that we've done that that are wrong, that that can be dealt with. So this means that if you have done things in your past that, that still you carry around today and that still haunt you today and, and you are always thinking of if only, if I could just go back, if I could just turn back the clock and, and maybe these kinds of thoughts torment you. Maybe at times you lay awake at night thinking about these things, things that you wish you hadn't said, you hadn't done. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't want you to live there. God doesn't want you to live chained to the bad decisions of your past. What do you do do with these things? Well, you go to God and you ask him to forgive you. And if you need to make things right with people, if you need to go to a person and ask forgiveness, certainly that's in order. This passage doesn't directly deal with that, but other scriptures do. If you need to make restitution, then you do that. But ultimately, for those who are in Christ, forgiveness is offered. And it is good news because it means that we don't have to live a life of guilt. We don't have to live a life constrained by, by, by our past, broken by the mistakes that we made in, in yesteryear. Of course, these things, we still suffer the consequences often for the decisions that we made. But when it comes to our relationship with God, the slate can be clean. Isn't that great news? In Christ, the slate can be clean. Now, it's a little bit like this. If, if you disobey, uh, as, a, as a kid, if you disobeyed your dad and you did something that you shouldn't do, it did not keep your dad from being your father. That was still a reality. But if you disobeyed your dad, what it often did is it created distance between you and your father. It made it where you weren't close to him because you'd, you'd done what you wanted to do instead of what... He told you to do. It didn't change the fact that he's your father. But it kept you from being close. And if you belong to Jesus and you sin and you do something that you shouldn't do, it doesn't keep him from being your father. He's he's never going to let go of you. If if you belong to him, the scriptures are clear. He holds you in his hand and he'll never let you go. John 10 says that clearly. But we do know that if we belong to him and we choose to live in sin, it will create space between us and God. 
And eventually, if we continue on in our sin, our hearts become hardened and we become blinded by how far away we are from what God wanted us to be. It's a dangerous place to be. So so what do we do when we sin and every one of us sins regularly? We go to God and we say to him, forgive me. I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. And we say, God, I agree with you. What I did was wrong. Will you wipe the slate clean? And the good news is the slate can be wiped clean. We just have to come. We just have to ask. Now notice in this verse, in verse 12 and and following, verses 14 and 15 as well, because we'll talk about all of these verses related to forgiveness this morning. Notice that we're using plural uh, pronouns again. Jesus says us, our, we. Why? Because often uh, in in our prayers, we, we have a tendency sometimes to just think about What's going on in our own relationship with God? But, but here Jesus is teaching the importance of community within the Lord's Prayer. You see the importance of community. Jesus intended for every person who became a believer to become a part of a, a, a community of believers, to become a part of a local church where, where you could encourage one another and support each other and, and help each other along the road. When, when we're talking about issues as serious as, as, as our sin, which can sometimes be incredibly serious. And we're talking about all the the brokenness that's in our lives, and often there can be a lot related to our sin. That's something that God doesn't want you to walk alone through. God wants there to be other believers who can can come alongside you. It's not as if, if you've got a a personal issue that that you're struggling with or something from your past that you're struggling with, it's not like you're going to stand up before everyone in the church and say, hey, this is what's going on. But God does want you to have a brother or sister in Christ who can support you through that, who can walk with you through that. And so we see that even here in, in prayer, this, this importance of, uh, of the community of faith, of the church in relationship, uh, in our relationship with God. He wants us to be in church families, not dealing with the tough issues by ourselves. So Jesus says, forgive us our debts. Now, isn't that an interesting word? For our sin. So Jesus here uses a, a legal term or a, a financial term to talk about our sin. Why? Why does Jesus call sin debt? Well, remember this God is the creator, He's the ruler of the entire universe. He, he created everything. And because of that, He's our creator. We owe Him absolute obedience, we owe Him. Uh, Uh, faithfulness. And when we do not pay this obedience in full, then we are indebted to God. We we owe him something. So when, when you sin or when I sin, it's an offense against the creator of the universe. It's cosmic rebellion, if you will. So when I say, you know what, I know what God says, but I'll do what I want. It's as if, and I don't think of it in these terms, and you probably don't either, but it's as if I'm saying to the God of the universe who created the entire world, you can say what you want, but guess what, God? I will do just what I want to do. Think of sin in those terms for a moment, and suddenly you begin to see how we are indeed indebted to God. God loved us even in the midst of of our sin. That's what Scripture makes clear. I want you to suppose that you owed $100,000 to the bank. You owed $100,000. Some of you may be saying, I wish that's all I owed. No, I'm just teasing. Um, 
uh, let's, let's suppose you owed 100000 to the bank. You know what? You couldn't get that debt forgiven unless you paid it off, right? But the bank, no, this isn't going to happen. I'm sure of it. The bank could say, you know what? Don't worry about it. The bank could do that, but you couldn't do it. You couldn't get that debt erased unless you had the money to pay it off. But the bank could wipe it clean, and it's that way in our relationship with God. We can't pay the debt we owe, but God himself could pay the debt. And you know what? That's exactly what he did. He paid the debt by sending his son to come and to die on a cross and to take the penalty the responsibility for our sin upon himself. He was buried and he was raised to life. And because of that, the sin that you've committed and that I've committed, it can be washed clean. Only God can forgive the debt that we owe. Now, some of you will say, well, wait a minute. Why doesn't, he's God. Can't he just wipe it away? Why did Jesus have to come? Why did, why, why does Jesus have to die? That makes no sense. If he's God, he could do whatever he wanted. Understand that for God to just overlook sin would be to compromise his very nature. Why? Because what is God's nature? He's perfectly pure. He's perfectly holy. And so for God to overlook my sin or your sin, it would be to compromise his his nature. Maybe it would make more sense to say this. Imagine a basketball player who tosses the ball to the other team for an assist and the other team makes a basket. You would say, wait a minute, what are you doing? It makes no sense for you to help the other team score. Or a quarterback who purposely threw to the opposing team for a pass. That doesn't make sense. Or a police officer who helped a robber rob the bank. We we hear these things and none of them make sense. And it can't happen. Please hear me say this clearly. A God who's holy can't overlook our sin. He can't ignore it. And that's the reason that he sent his own son to suffer and die. Because because of his holiness, sin has to be judged. And what, what God did is he made a way for those of us who are sinners, me and you, he made a way where our sins could be washed clean. And so how did that work? Well, his own son took the judgment that we deserve, that a a God who's holy has to exact on sin, he took that judgment upon himself. Now, is that not something to be amazed about today? I know we've heard the story a thousand times, perhaps. Maybe some of you know, but many of you have heard the story a thousand times. But please don't overlook that. Please don't miss that. This ought to be so compelling to us. What if there was no place where your your, your guilt, your sin could be dealt with? What if we had to carry around the weight before God of all the horrible things that we've said and done and even thought? Imagine that baggage. Imagine what that would be like with no hope eternally. And yet God, in his great mercy, has shown us this incredible love, this amazing, incredible love that means that our sins can be forgiven. Why? Because Jesus literally paid the debt that you owe. He literally paid it off. He, he made a way. In, in fact, Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him, or in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or our sins. In Christ, that's where our debt can be paid. can be washed away when, when his blood covers our hearts. It doesn't matter what we've done. 
every single sin can be washed away. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sin. The only way for your sin to be paid off before God, for it to be wiped clean, is through the blood of Christ. That's the only way your debt can be paid. Now, we talked about owing 100000 but now let's up the amount. Let's suppose that you owed a trillion dollars. A trillion dollars. There's not a chance that you could pay it off. It would not matter. It would not matter what you did, what you sold, what you attempted. You couldn't pay a trillion dollars off. It would not happen. You would hopelessly be stuck in debt. And what I want you to see is that without Christ, that is exactly where you're at spiritually. You owe a hundred trillion dollars. You owe that. Why? Because, because you've sinned. You've rejected God. You've done what you wanted. And God's holy and pure. He's the creator of the universe. How do you deal with that debt? How do you deal with that $100 trillion debt? You go to the one you owe and you cry out for mercy. And the scripture's clear. If you cry out for mercy, mercy's available. Isn't that good news? Mercy's available. It can be wiped clean. You can start fresh. Doesn't matter where you've been. Matters where you're going. In God's economy, there's forgiveness. There's hope. Oh, what incredible news. And all of this because the Son of God came to this earth and suffered. And yes, he died. Now notice verse 12. This is really important. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Now that's an interesting thing to tack on to this prayer for forgiveness. It teaches us that our forgiveness before God is connected to our ability to forgive other people. Now, look at verses 14 and 15 again. Uh, Again, at the end of the prayer. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive. Forgive your trespasses. What is this saying? This scripture is teaching that an unforgiving person gives evidence of having never been forgiven. Now, let me say that again. A person who's unwilling to forgive others, a person who's unwilling to extend or grant forgiveness to other people, gives evidence of never having been forgiven in their own heart. If you can't forgive people, it reveals that you aren't truly aware of the gravity or the bigness of your own sin before God. And if you're not aware of the gravity or the bigness or the weight of your own sin before God, then how can you truly repent of it? So it reveals that our hearts perhaps have never experienced God's forgiveness. Now, Jesus tells a story in Matthew 18 to illustrate it. And let's take a look together. Matthew 18, we'll begin in verse 21. This is a parable that Jesus told that helps to to illustrate exactly what we're saying. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when the servant went out... He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in the prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me? And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Has I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So Jesus illustrates this. A person who's been forgiven before God and who's truly called out to God and said, God, I want to turn from my sin and I see that my sin, that my sin is dark and ugly and God, I'm pleading with you for forgiveness. A person who's received that forgiveness, well, that person is going to extend forgiveness, is going to grant forgiveness. But a person who's never received that kind of forgiveness before God may well hold on to unforgiveness and to bitterness. One commentator said it this way, once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries to others which have been done, or the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling or small. If on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own. So I wonder, um, How do you respond to those who have sinned against you? Those who have injured you? Um, What do these verses teach us about prayer and about the Christian life? Well, first, seek God's forgiveness regularly in prayer. Seek God's forgiveness regularly in prayer. If you are a believer, when you sin every day regularly, go to God and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I, I know that I said this or... I treated my wife this way, and I shouldn't have said that or done that. Or uh, one of my coworkers, I, I had this attitude. Lord, I don't want to be that. Forgive me. We, we need to do that regularly. In fact, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's a promise that, that those of us who belong to him, that our sins can be washed clean, wiped clean. And it's a promise that our fellowship with God can be restored. And so we need to go to him regularly. And if you're struggling with past guilt, with guilt from your past that's weighing you down, I want to say to you, there's there's hope there. There's forgiveness there. Get with an older brother in Christ or an older sister in Christ uh, Uh, And and walk with them through that. Maybe you need to go to some people and say, hey, will you forgive me for doing this? Or maybe you need to make some kind of restitution. But but you're going to want to work through those things because God wants to wipe the slate clean for you and he wants to help you move forward. The scriptures are clear there. So, So we don't need to live in that life of guilt. 
It's something like this. If, if you've been outside working men and maybe you're working on a, a car or a, a truck or something and you get greasy and kind of nasty and you come in, your wife's probably not going to run up to you and say, oh, give me a hug and a kiss, right? She's going to say, and she's going to point to the bathroom, clean up, clean up. Now, please hear me say this. We can't clean ourselves up. But when we go to God in forgiveness, he cleans us right up and our fellowship with him is restored and he will gladly receive us on the basis of who he is, on the basis of his love. We don't even have to clean ourselves up. We just go to him and say, God, forgive me, clean me up. And he does. And he restores fellowship. And even in the midst of our sinful brokenness, we can find a loving heavenly father who will hold us close Good news, good news. Second, extend forgiveness to others. Extend forgiveness to others. An unforgiving heart is a dangerous heart. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. God and Christ forgave you. So let's talk for a moment about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. First, what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not saying that what someone did is okay. It's not saying that. From a biblical perspective, forgiveness is not saying that if someone did something wrong, that it's okay. God never did that. That's the reason his own son had to die, because he couldn't just say that sin was okay. It's not excusing or minimizing sin. Forgiveness is not a matter of feelings. In reality, some of you who have been harmed deeply will have to extend forgiveness without really having the emotion to do that, because forgiveness is not a matter of emotion. And from a biblical perspective, that's the case. Forgiveness is not forgetting. There's no verse that teaches that we must forget. In reality, we can't scrub our minds clean of sins that have been done against us. So forgiveness is not forgetting. Let's think about what forgiveness is from a biblical perspective. And one writer explained it like this. It's the process of training your mind to think in a biblical manner. And he suggests when you want to forgive then don't bring up the offense to the offender. Don't bring up the offense to others. And finally, don't bring up the offense to yourself. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if you've had difficulties in the past that you don't need to get with a a person, a brother or sister in Christ, somebody mature in the faith who can walk with you through that. You need to do that. That's a good thing. God meant for us to do that sort of thing. But it does mean that when you come to the place where you say, God, I'm forgiving this person, you're not going to keep going back to them and saying, remember when you did this, you're letting them off the hook. Why? Because you've been let off the hook. You're not going to go to others and say, hey, you know what, so-and-so did this, and then you find somebody else, did you know what, they did that, that worthless, no good. Can you believe it? No, you're not broadcasting it. Why? You've let them off the hook. Why ultimately? Because you've been let off the hook. And you're not recounting it to yourself, reliving it constantly. Can you believe what so-and-so did to me? Oh, I tell you what, I hope he gets his. I hope she gets hers. No. When those thoughts begin to come into your mind, you say, you know what? I've been forgiven such an incredible amount. By the grace of God, I'm not going to go there. I will not dwell on it. I will not bring it up even to myself. I've let them off the hook. That is 
biblical forgiveness, brothers and sisters. And that's the forgiveness that we're called to extend to others. The reason we forgive is because we've been forgiven so very much from a God who is incredibly gracious and merciful. Yes, forgiveness is an act of the will. It's based on me submitting to God in obedience. It's not an act of emotion. You may never feel like forgiving, but by God's grace, you can, you can forgive. So who is it that you need to forgive today? Who is it that you've been holding on the hook and you've not let it go? There are some husbands and wives here today who, who need to do some of this, who need to quit bringing up what's happened in the past over and over again if repentance has occurred and if, if attempts have made to, to get things right. We're not excusing sin, but we're forgiving. There's some husbands and wives whose relationship desperately needs forgiveness today. There's some some parents or some sons and daughters who need to extend forgiveness to one another today. I'm sure of it. In a crowd this size, who who is it in your life that you need to make things right? Now, some of you may be saying, well, wait a minute. You You don't understand what was done to me. Some of you have been abused, perhaps assaulted or other horrible offenses. And I want you to know that in, in God's grace, by His grace, you can forgive. You're never saying that sin was okay. It's not okay. It's evil and wicked and terrible. But you don't have to live there. God wants you to forgive. And He wants to bring healing. And again, the importance of, of walking alongside a brother or sister is critical here. We need that in these hard situations of life. That's why you see the us, our, we pronouns here because because it's not just me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus and brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a little bit like this. It's spawning season, season, right? And so this is a a good time to fish. You catch a a fish, nice, big bass. And let's suppose that you catch it and you you let it go. Catch and release. That fish bit your hook in a sense. He's indebted to you. You reeled him in. He's your fish and you let him go. Well, that's sort of a picture of what happens when we forgive people. We, we let them go. We let them go. We, we leave all that in God's hands and we let them go. And in reality, we find freedom for ourselves as well and obedience. Third, If you have an unforgiving heart, it may be an indicator that you've never truly experienced the forgiveness of God. If you have an unforgiving heart, it may be an indicator that you've never truly experienced the forgiveness of God. If you're bitter and you hold grudges and you can say, well, back then, so-and-so did this, she did that, he did this, and I'll tell you what, I'll never forget it. I'll never let that go. It may well be the reason you'll never let it go is because you don't because you've never received the kind of amazing and incredible forgiveness that's available in Christ it's sort of like this if you're driving your car and one of the lights comes on the the engine overheating light you better pull over and you better deal with that in a hurry you keep driving with the engine overheating light coming on and you're going to need to replace an engine it's going to cost you a good 2500 three grand or, or something 
Because that light came on. You better, you better stop. You better pay attention. And today I want you to hear me say clearly the scripture teaches that if you can't forgive other people, that's, an, that's, a, that's a light flashing. And it may be the reason you can't forgive is because you've never truly repented of your sins and been forgiven. And so the, the call to you today is to say, God, is that a dashlight? Is that telling me something in my heart that I haven't seen, that I've been unwilling to see up to this point? God, are you calling me to, to come to you and to seek forgiveness so that I can grant forgiveness to others? It, it's a possibility. The scriptures are clear. It's a possibility. Fourth, within a church family, we must be gracious with one another and quick to forgive. Within a church family, the, this is the us, we, our idea. And we see this all throughout Scripture. Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So within a church family, sometimes we're going to hurt each other. As a pastor, maybe I, maybe I don't check on you when I should have. Maybe I say something in a way that, that hurts you. I'm going to need you to to forgive me. And if I know that I've done wrong, I'm going to need to go to you and and seek forgiveness. But but we're going to need to do that. That, That's the way that that it has to work. We're we're going to mess up. It's like a a family feud. You've seen family feuds where where maybe an older grandparents, a matriarch or a patriarch dies, and, and they were sort of keeping the family all together. But once that final grandparent dies, you see all war break loose. This one's mad at that one. This one's going to get this. And they, own, they deserve this part of the estate or this part of the land or this part of, uh, of the inheritance or whatever. And man, they are fighting like cats and dogs. We've all seen that. And a church is not meant to be like that. A church is meant to be a place where we freely extend forgiveness, where we bear with one another in love. Now, I want you to imagine again that you're sitting in a courtroom. This time you're not on trial, but you have observed the trial of a murderer, a convicted murderer without a doubt. The facts are clear. This man is guilty. And you're at the place where it's the sentencing phase and the judge comes back and he says, I give five years probation. You'd be sitting in that courtroom and your mouth would drop open. What? How could a judge give a murderer, a convicted murderer, who took someone's life five years probation? And we would be outraged. We would be furious. And yet many of us expect God to do that very thing when it comes to our own sin. We expect him to say it's no big deal. But brothers and sisters, our sin, even if we call them little, white, tiny sins, are always a big deal before a holy God. So what does God say about sin? It has to be judged. Your sin will be judged at the foot of the cross as you bow down before Jesus and call out to him in repentance and ask him for forgiveness or it will be dealt with eternally in hell. That's the reality. And you know what? This morning, Jesus is saying to you, won't you have your sins dealt with now? 
I'm a just judge. I can't let sin go. I'm a just judge, a judge who's righteous. But I have made provision for your sin, and I'm pleading with you. Won't you believe? Won't you come in repentance? Won't you turn from your sin and believe? And your sins can be washed clean, and you can have eternal life, and you can have true forgiveness. And so today, every one of us who's here, every one of you who's hearing my words, your sin must be dealt with. Where will it be dealt with? Will it be at the foot of the cross? I pray it will.